Welcome to We Built This Life. I'm your host, Jennifer Walker. I'm a freelance writer, and this is the podcast that tells stories about small business owners and entrepreneurs and how they built their working lives from the ground up. This is episode 32 featuring Rebecca Murray from Dare & Co., a Virginia-based company that makes timeless, high-quality women's dresses and curates heartfelt gift boxes. Thank you so much for listening today. Hello, welcome to episode 32 of We Built This Life. Rebecca Murray is here today, and I was really excited to talk to her. I'm really excited to talk to every guest. But what's really cool is that the release of this episode actually coincides with the change for Rebecca's business. Until today, her company has been known as Virginia Dare Dress Co. But today, she is launching her new brand name, which is Dare & Co., You will hear Rebecca and I talk in this episode about Virginia Dare Dress Co., but I just wanted to let you know at the top here that the company name has officially been changed, as I said, to Dare & Co. So that's really exciting that she's making this change on the day that her podcast episode is coming out. So as I mentioned in the intro, Dare & Co. has a line of timeless, beautiful dresses and To me, timeless really feels like the right word to describe the style of Rebecca's dresses. There's beautiful floral dresses, solid colors and some jewel tones and some brighter tones. There's a windowpane dress, which you'll hear me telling Rebecca on this episode is the one I have my eye on. It's really lovely. And then through the company, Rebecca also curates gift boxes that are beautifully put together. They look like really thoughtful ways to send a surprise and some love to your friends and family. I've actually sent a cookie hello to my husband for Valentine's Day. And the cookie hello box comes with a large, delicious looking chocolate chip cookie or a peanut butter cup cookie, and then a coffee or a tea. And it's all packaged really nicely. I think that's kind of what feels like it sets Dare & Co. apart, is they have such nice packaging. Each gift box comes with a vellum overlay with a sentiment on it, and you can choose which one best fits the reason you are giving the gift. So there was a happy Christmas around the holidays. There was a happy Mother's Day. There's a, I wonder if you know how much you're loved. So you choose that first. And then you can send a message. You, you know, type a message into the note field on the website and Rebecca and her team handwrite those notes for you to send with the gift box. So they really are very personalized gift boxes. And it's, it's really fun to go on the Dareco website and to look at what types of boxes are available. So that's a little bit about Dareco's products. On this episode, Rebecca is going to talk about her background as an international wedding photographer, which is so cool. So she has some experience with entrepreneurship early on, and then she'll talk about how she made the transition to opening her own product-based business and how she marketed the business in the beginning and made connections with customers. We talk a little bit about change and transition and what that looks like for a small business, and we'll talk about what change looks like for an entrepreneur and the feelings that come with that. And as always with guests on the show, Rebecca will talk about challenges. We really get into mental type challenges, like the challenging feelings that can come with entrepreneurship. And she'll talk about how she defines success and what that looks like for her. Rebecca also perhaps has one of my favorite pieces of advice for small business owners or really anybody embarking on something new. It it really rang true for me as a podcaster. And I was kind of laughing as she was saying it, just because I identified with the advice so much. And I think others will too. So stick around to hear what she has to say about her advice for small business owners. 
Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to say if you enjoy this podcast, I would be so happy if you would share the episode with your friends and family. If you think it's something that might help them, you can hit the share button on Instagram or on Facebook. And if I happen to see that you've done that, I will just be forever grateful and it will make my day. So thank you for considering doing that. All right, let's get into Rebecca Murray's small business story. Rebecca Murray has long been exposed to entrepreneurship through her family, and she was drawn to this type of work from an early age. Entrepreneurship is really all I know. My parents are both very creative entrepreneurial themselves, and I got into having my own company almost right out of high school. My dad had been a photographer, and I grew up also wanting to pursue that to some extent. And I ended up getting a job for a local photographer when I was probably like 18 or 19. This is about like 16 years ago. And I was able to end up working for her and then launch my own photography business. So I was a international wedding photographer for about, I think about 16 years. Just last year, I shot my last wedding. So that was something that I did alongside Virginia Dare. But I've always loved and had a passion for having the flexibility and the, you know, the sky's the limit kind of thought that comes with having your own company. So I worked as a photographer initially which was really exciting and gave me a lot of opportunities for meeting people and growing my network and learning how to you know, really pursue something. And then along the way, that ended up also leading me to starting what is now my more full-time work in Virginia Dare. Yeah. That's interesting that you were an international photographer. Did you get to travel a lot and to some interesting locations? I did. And that was Initially, I remember like having the distinct thought when I was probably like, in high school that I wanted to be a photographer, but never for weddings because that sounded like a dreadful career with like <laughs> bridezillas and like horrible people and stress and whatever. But once my first wedding actually for a friend was out in California and it was like, wait, hold on a second. I'm going to like travel somewhere really cool with people I enjoy to like help them have fun at their wedding. And it was like a complete like switch flipped of how fun weddings could be. I'm a pretty adventurous person and I love to travel and Once I kind of got the travel bug and realized that a lot of people do destination weddings or just, you know, live far away and want to have a more of a travel feeling to their wedding of like more adventurous, that really became my sweet spot. So the more you travel as a photographer, the more people are likely to hire you for, you know, more travel weddings. So I did end up getting to shoot weddings all over the UK, the Caribbean, Hawaii, and it led to just so much fun in my work because it was both getting to do work I enjoy with people I like, but also getting to experience and see places that I really wouldn't have been able to visit otherwise. Wow. That sounds like an amazing experience to have had. I'd I'd love to hear how you sort of transitioned from photography to getting this idea to starting Virginia Dare Dress Co. And it sounds like there was some overlap as well, right? For sure. Getting to do photography, I think I was maybe seven or eight years into that. And it was a job that I really enjoyed, but it was still never something that I could see myself doing like 10 years down the road. Some of the difficulties with wedding photography is that you really sacrifice a lot of your social life. I've missed so many of my own friends' weddings. I was gone a lot. I remember one year, I think like half of my weddings were out of town. So it's a lot of travel, which means you're just missing a lot of your own community and your own life. Also, it's like a pretty physically taxing job. It's a lot of weight to carry in your body for, you know, 12, 16 hour days. So it was never something that I could see myself doing long term. And 
So at some point, I'd had some life changes come up where I just was starting to feel unsettled in that career. And I just knew that there was something I needed to do to feel more excited for work again. And I started pursuing fashion photography instead, because I thought that would be a way that I could use the skills that I had, but in more of a, what I thought, like less stressful environment, because weddings are also a pretty stressful event to sign up for to you know have that responsibility. And it was in this season of pursuing fashion photography and just feeling kind of stuck and kind of sad. I'd had some like sad things happen and I felt a little a little unsettled, a little lost. I did have though a good number of clients or friends who lived um, especially in England and Scotland from weddings that I had shot there, like past wedding clients who I could go and visit for long times. So I did a couple trips for, you know, two to four weeks there building my portfolio of work and along the way just had kept having this like nagging thought in the back of my mind of like, I'm taking these trips. I feel like I'm exploring something new and exciting. I'm so grateful for the season. Why is it so hard to like find good dresses to take with me on these trips? I'm really tall and I have a little bit more of a conservative, I guess, clothing style. And I just found it so difficult to find dresses that were like easy, like one thing to wear that I could wear on a train all day and then go shoot an event and still like look, you know, cute enough to like wear them for touring around. And I just love the idea of kind of like a capsule wardrobe of really timeless women's clothing. And this whole season was probably around, I think it was right around when like Kate and William were getting married. And I was really drawn to Kate Middleton's style. And then being you know around the UK even more and just seeing her style and feeling like it was really hard to find that more like flattering feminine shape in clothes that were just easy to wear for the everyday. I was like, why is it so hard to find this? Like really shouldn't be a difficult thing. And so along the way, I was like, you know, I'm going to find someone who sews and just get some dresses made. Like I know in my mind what I want to wear. I'll just draw those, find someone who can sew, make them and have like my travel wardrobe for like my trips. Then also I was like, well, if I'm going to have these wonderful trips, I also want to have like a little bit of that beauty in my everyday life. And I want to kind of dress up a little bit more and not just live like waiting for the next fun trip, but also try to make like my everyday life feel more special. And I think how we approach the day and how we present ourselves really has an impact on like how important our everyday feels. So it was like in this whole season, I'm not really sure what to do. And fashion photography was an exciting thing to pursue. And I was studying a lot of, you know, fashion brands and their lookbooks. And it just also didn't seem like it was something that was going to be financially viable to completely switch over to that from weddings. And along the way, I was starting to look at other jobs. I had over the years worked on and off for anthropology. It was going down the track of maybe pursuing also the display coordinator role, the person who does like the art displays in the stores, a lot of you know exposure to retail there. I was starting to look at being a photo editor at a bridal magazine. I was just like trying a lot of different things also while doing wedding photography, because no one had to know that I was desperately trying to find like my next thing. And just one night I was talking with my parents and just feeling pretty stuck. And they're just great sounding boards for you know talking through work and ideas and creativity and what to do. And all of a sudden, they brought up an idea they had had about 10 years before. And they're like, well, what if you started a clothing brand? A little context is my mom's father was a fashion designer in New York City, had his own line, his own whole factory. It was a whole city block in Midtown. And so she grew up in that whole world of having fashion and a, like a whole line being a reality. And they had had the idea, we were homeschooled. And for a year in high school, they had broached the idea of like, what if I wasn't a good student? And like, what if you just started a clothing brand as like a school project back in high school? And at the time, I thought it was not that great of an idea and didn't run with it. But they had always had this idea in their mind of like that, for some reason, they thought that I should start a clothing business. And one of them just brought it up. And I was like, well, that's so funny, because I was actually just planning to get some clothes made for myself because I need some like new dresses. And we all kind of just like looked at each other and had a moment. And 
my dad actually, we we're Christian. My dad's like, let's just like pray about it. And so they just like prayed a quick prayer. And I just like had this knowing. I was like, yeah, I'm going to start a clothing business. That's going to combine the aesthetics, the fashion that I feel like is missing, the desire for something new. It still feels like it fit in this whole world of like wanting to have beautiful adventures in my life, whether it's far away or like every day. And that night I Googled, like, how do you start a fashion business? And I just never looked back from that night. Wow. How funny that your parents mentioned that in high school and that you eventually ended up going that route. That's so cool. <laughs> it was, yeah. And it was funny too, because like I grew up kind of a, like a tomboy, like nothing about me would ever scream like this person should start like a clothing business. But it was more from this like practical, like reverse engineering, like how to have the clothes that I need to find. I'll just make them, which I guess is very normal for entrepreneurial pursuits. But I think they just really saw this and thought that I could do it. And the timing when they brought it up again was just so right. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I think you're right. I think that's the way a lot of people get started is they see a need for themselves and then they think, oh, I can't be the only one. There probably is a need for this in the market. Yeah. And this was back, that like initial conversation was back in 2014. So I feel like today it's not as hard to find. I feel like there's so many great dress brands now, but especially back then it felt a lot more difficult to find both pieces that were a little bit more timeless, but just, I feel like there's just so much more options today, but back then it felt a lot harder to find what I was looking for. Yeah. So you had this idea in 2014. How did you go from the idea to actually getting the business off the ground? And do you remember your first client or your first sale? It was a very slow start. I think it took about two years from that night to actually launching. So it started with, I love to learn. And I think that's something that homeschooling really encourages too, is just kind of teaching people how to learn, or at least in how my, my parents kind of how they viewed education as more teaching people how to learn. So I, I loved that season, I just deep dove into every blog post and YouTube video and book, found a course and just dove in and just had notebooks of notes and just like deep immersion into learning everything about manufacturing and design and style and just deep dove into it. And also like having a product company, because at to that point, I was a photographer, which is like a service industry and a product company and an e-commerce. And do you go wholesale to boutiques or direct to consumer or there's so many different avenues. So I just learned for like, so long. But what was crazy is my mom and her father had had a falling out when I was a kid and never really had much communication. So during that season, I went up to New York to do some fabric sourcing. And my mom decided to come and try to reconnect with her father like separate from like what my business was, it was just I was going to go to New York, he still had a store, she thought they could have a reconciliation in person, he had just kind of ignored her attempts like by mail or phone. So that was really the pivotal moment that we went to his store, they ended up having a really beautiful reconciliation. And then he asked me what I was doing in New York. And we told him that his granddaughter was like wanting to start a clothing company. And he was here as a designer. And so he opens this like ancient dusty Rolodex, it was like this big, and just, you know, he's like this like crusty old New Yorker who's just like, all right, like I'll call in a favor. And he like picks up the phone and calls this guy. And he's like, I'm sending my granddaughter over. Like she wants dresses. And so he connected me with a sample maker, a small factory in New York City who made the first round of prototypes and really taught me like pattern making and was really influential in helping me. And so then I live just outside DC. So it's a pretty easy bus trip up to New York. I even sometimes would do like a day trip just up and back for the, the trade shows, for 
you know, you'd give this guy a sketch and do all the measurements and he would make a sample in a test fabric and you go up and do a fitting and make adjustments. And they adjust the pattern and then adjust the dress and make a new sample. And you do that iterative process a few times and then he makes it in the real fabric. And then that would be ideally what you would then make in all the sizes and then put into production. So learning that whole process in person was really helpful. And that was maybe like the first year or so. And then I was able to find a person like him in DC. So it was a lot faster. And then that was beginning of 2016, I started working with the DC sample maker. And then I was starting to get kind of cold feet because it was like, this is going to be hard. I don't actually know how I can do this. But it was kind of like an hour never. I was starting to take fewer and fewer wedding jobs and like fewer travel jobs because I knew I needed to have more time. And so I was like, I either need to like scale photography back up or like make this thing go for it. But like something's got to give. So that 2016 year, I launched with a Kickstarter that fall. And that was what was the launching of the company. But it took a lot of lead up. So like 2014 and 2015, I guess we're all like learning and patterning in New York. And then 2016 was actually going for it. I think I spent that whole summer with a private Facebook group that I think I ended up with like a couple hundred people in there. And it was like a focus group to start learning a lot about how people shopped to learn how to best market the company. And then those people ended up becoming like my launch team who really helped with a lot of the projects leading up to the Kickstarter launch and then even helping just volunteer basis, helping with social media and PR and all these different projects when the company did launch. So it was kind of a slow process for a while and then it got really intense and through the end of 2016 and then beginning of 2017, we did our first production run in Central America and got the website up and running and then it was fully launched with a store in 2017. Wow. So much good stuff there. I love the story of your mom and your grandfather reconnecting and the image of your grandfather pulling out his Rolodex and, and calling in his connections. Do you, What was the, the Kickstarter? What was the amount that you were seeking? It sounds like it was successful, right? It was the second time. And I love, I love to talk to people about doing crowdfunding because it is a whole thing in itself. The first round, I, I just had a guess because at that point, we actually didn't have a factory lined up yet. I just knew we were making good strides towards finding a place, but I just needed to go for it. So I didn't want it to overlap too much with like the holiday season because then people aren't able to spend as much. So we did the first round for 60,000 and we're not successful. I think we only raised about 45,000, which was, I was still really proud of. We were pre-selling dresses that people could choose from. There were three different styles. One of them was in two different colors. And the problem with Kickstarter is if you do not reach your goal, you do not get any of it. So people pledged, I think it was around 45,000. And then the day that it ended, we had zero. It was really helpful, though, because it, it forced me to have to just made a lot more progress in finding the right manufacturing place. So when we redid the campaign, I think in November, I did it just for 30,000 because I knew I needed to get it like done and through really quickly. And I only did the second campaign for two weeks. I think the first campaign was for a month. So the second campaign, we did 30, reached that, and then exceeded that. And then I just moved forward from there. So you you have your business started. How did you market it in the beginning? You had the photography background, which I would think would have been helpful. I love your aesthetic on social and everything. It's so beautiful. How did you market in the beginning? Do you remember like how you reached customers back then? Thank you. Yeah, photography has been very helpful. I would actually say, and this is like looking back, like a hindsight, like wish I had, I had spent so much time learning how to start the company and learning how to do a Kickstarter that that had really been my huge focus versus learning how to market an ongoing company. And it was actually a really hard beginning because people love being part of the start of something. It's so easy 
to have people buy in to like, help me launch my dream, help me start this new thing. And it is so much harder to be like, I have a store now, please come buy something. And I had just spent so little time on more of a long-term marketing strategy. It was so like, you know, get it started, get it going, which I had to because it's pretty costed, capital heavy. Like at the beginning, you had to spend so much money that I did need to get it like launched big at the start. But it was actually a really hard kind of screech to a halt after we began. Right at the beginning too, my mom was diagnosed with advanced cancer. I had some, a lot of really difficult health stuff come up and like, Two days, I think, after her cancer surgery, I'm like on a plane to Guatemala to do our first production run. Like it was all at the same time, like, okay, we're finally started. And it was like three steps back of how do we actually keep momentum going? I feel like I kind of started learning how to market after we were already launched and expectations for what I thought. I kind of idealistically assumed like, well, we did this in the Kickstarter. Like it's just going to keep going every month that we're in business. And it's like, no, it's like a different business model, really. So it was a slow process. And I just started testing things. And I think that's a really good thing that people have to try is you can read a lot of articles and get good advice, but you have to test what works for your business, for you, for your customers. And so I just started doing lots of different, I mean, lots on social media. I did have two people helping me run our Instagram, which was really helpful because I knew about myself that when I'm busy and working, I just don't have the the bandwidth or I won't choose to do social media. And I knew that that was an important part of it. So I had people who had helped the Kickstarter then joined the team as like our social media managers. And that was really helpful because it kept us growing that community, even if I was deep in the trenches of like manufacturing or, you know, the more tricky parts of the business that other people couldn't be a part of. So I'd say Instagram, and then I started doing pop-ups at boutiques, I would do home like pop-ups where a customer would have me to their house, invite a bunch of their friends. I would bring like a brunch and all the dresses and do like an in-home shopping day. And those were really fun. And that was a great way to build community and have people shop in person and get the fit and get a lot of ideas. I feel like our customers have always given the best ideas for just the business. So that was, that was really fun. You know, definitely consider going down that route of making the business, you know, more like a home pop-up shopping experience, doing lots of, I mean, other markets, doing some wholesaling to boutiques and some, you know, influencers, we would reach out with, you know, offering product in exchange for a mention or whatever. And then also some collaborations. I had reached out to a bakery in New York City that they had a very blue and white aesthetic as well. And we ended up doing a collaboration together for our apron and they started purchasing them to like have their staff wear them or to sell them. So I think it was a little of trying a lot of different things. Instagram's always been the best way for finding people because it's a very you know visual product. Once people receive a dress, they can tag us and their friends and follow us through that. That's always been the most, I think, effective that or just natural sharing. But I was really surprised at the start of just how difficult it was to get the marketing off the ground, especially because we didn't really have a lot of money to do paid advertisement. It was just what's the most cost effective way to organically grow. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound like a lot of just trial, trial and error, just doing a lot of things and seeing what sticks and to have to do all that when you had so much going on, it sounds like a lot at one time. And your dresses are beautiful, by the way. I love the style. I have my eye on... I don't know if you would call it plaid. I'm not sure what the, it's, there's like a lighter blue and a darker blue. I call it a window pane. Window pane. That's what it is. Yeah. That dress is beautiful. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. So you have the dresses. Yeah. You have that piece of the business. I'd love to hear about when the gift boxes came into play and a little bit more about those. Sure. So I always loved the packaging element of the way that dresses were delivered. I thought if we could just, you know, add in a little bit more to the cost and let the shopping experience just be so beautiful. 
for the recipient that it would just be tied to a really positive emotional experience. I love packaging design. I just, I love the unboxing experience. And that was, I think, a way that we also helped grow on Instagram of just when people would receive a box, it was, you know, even just their dress order, it was hopefully just more beautiful than like a poly mailer, you know, with a garment in like a clear plastic bag. So we always had a couple options on the site that were like small gift boxes, like, you know, tea and a cookie, and then just like a couple little things that you could send to somebody. And then when COVID happened, I noticed people started sending those a lot more because of course, everyone felt really isolated. They really missed, you know, getting to visit their family, their friends, and people just started shipping them more often and even like being in touch of like, that felt like a hug in the mail. Thank you. What was difficult though, is two years in a row through COVID is my manufacturing shutdown. First, when I was working with a place here in the States, they just switched over to doing, you know, PPE, which we ended up getting involved with as well. Um, But that was months of nothing being made. So that was kind of made it through on that, just trying to do pre-orders. We did like a, yeah, a collection on pre-order. But the second year where our manufacturing shut down for what ended up being about three months, I just knew that we needed to find something else because it was just so difficult. Also, people weren't buying dresses as much because they weren't going into the office. They weren't doing as much. So at that second year, which I guess would have been 2021, I had the idea of doing a larger collection of gift boxes more as a way for people to even share about the brand, that it was almost like a customer acquisition tool. If, you know, if one of our customers sent someone a gift that they also could discover us in the process, it would be you know a win for them and a win for us. I remember I had planned to start that already. And then I got the news that everything had shut down. And I was like, well, I'm just going to use this time to like 100% go in on gift boxes. And so we spent the next few months learning how to curate because with those we weren't as much making their products but more finding brands that had really beautiful packaging and a good quality product at a good price point and like how to combine different elements and just how to figure all that out but I just knew it was a a way that people could really find it convenient to share love with someone whether it was for a birthday or a thank you or a I miss you or whatever reason and so we launched a collection of gift boxes over the summer and I was just still thinking that would be like a little side thing you know to help support the dresses And what was so surprising is just ever since launching that, it's just grown and grown and grown, especially for like the holiday season that year. It's become so much larger of a part of a company, even than the dresses at this point. Also, that first holiday season, a lot of our customers who have businesses, they started sending them, you know, in bulk to their clients as, you know, Christmas gifts or holiday gifts or team gifts. It's just kind of been as we go, like, okay, this is what people are looking for. This is what they're responding to. How can we better serve them? So then last year, I spent a lot more focused time working on developing just this side of the business as its own. Like it's a huge part of the business now and not just like a thing on the side. And so there's still you know a lot to be developed and I'm not, not sure of like how we're going to land at the end of it. But it's just funny because originally I thought it was a, a marketing tool, you know, for the dresses. But I think if anything, the dresses are more of a <laughs> marketing tool for this new gift box part. So I think this year we will actually rebrand the company because right now we're called Virginia Dare Dress Co, which is a little misleading when someone receives a gift box, especially we do, you know, a lot of people are sending them even to men. We have a lot of like more masculine type gifts as well. So I don't want it to seem like it's just a dress company because it's not anymore. Now it is a really two different product lines under the same umbrella. So we will be rebranding the name into something that just makes more sense for both and then just continue forward and see what happens next. It's funny how in small business, how your customers lead you into directions you didn't expect sometimes. Like I had somebody on the show, Teresa Cangiolosi. She was on episode 20 and she has like an aromatherapy apothecary. She has essential oils and skincare products. 
And in the beginning, she was bringing in products from other people, but she realized that her customers wanted her to make their own line. She was doing kind of custom products too, and that's what was selling. And so she shifted and now that's what they sell. It's all their own line. And it's kind of a direction she didn't expect to go in. It sounds like that's kind of your story as well a little bit. Yeah. And it's it's hard because you do have to like be true to like what you have energy and passion for, but it is the marketplace. I mean, it is your customers who do direct because you can have all the ideas you want, but if people don't want to purchase that, if it doesn't serve them, then what's the point? So I think it is important to have, I guess, the humility enough to recognize what people want from you and learn how to adapt, but still in a way that's still you know, you don't want them to make all the decisions for your company because it's still your time that you're spending doing this and your energy and you have to work at what you have the drive to do. But it, it does need to be yeah, both of those things involved. Okay, can we talk about challenges that you faced along the way? Are there one or two big challenges and how did you deal with them? Oh yeah, I love talking about this because both with this company, but also through my work previously too. I felt like the hardest thing I've found in the years of being self-employed is especially how you can't keep your work separate from your personal life. Everyone has really difficult seasons of their life. And no matter what you're doing for your career, it does you know affect your work. But especially when you're self-employed, when the company continuing is all up to your energy and focus, and when you've had really difficult things come up, it can make it really difficult to compartmentalize and keep the work going. And that's, I think, been one of the greatest challenges for me is just having different seasons, both with Virginia Dare and through photography, just seasons that felt so, so difficult. And just it's like, well, how on earth can I keep this company going? And I think learning how to compartmentalize better is the deal breaker. Like you have to be able to just be like, I need to turn that part off and just get the work done. Otherwise, it's not going to continue. And it's a really hard thing. I mean, I yeah, whether it's, I'm sure people can go through just different types of grief or difficulty, and it can be really hard. But just, I think, gaining that skill or training that muscle to be able to just remove yourself from the emotional difficulty and, and focus can be really difficult. I can see how that's even harder when you're an entrepreneur. I remember going through grief in the past and having an office job, and you're able to pull back a little bit. But if it's your livelihood and your small business and you have to keep it going and to have all that kind of mesh together, that does sound very challenging. It can be really hard, and especially when, yeah, your everything relies on that. The other thing I would say in my situation, some of my greatest challenges have been manufacturing over the years. The dresses have had a really long journey. I think we've started over a new factory, I think it's like seven times now. It's been pretty much every year having to start our whole manufacturing supply chain from scratch. And that's not only been incredibly difficult and heartbreaking, I feel like my heart has broken so many times for this company just from on the manufacturing side, there's so many parts of that process that have to be done correctly. And you can't be the one to completely inspect every part of it. You also don't know enough to know how to make sure it's all done well. And I've had so many breakdowns along the way at different points with quality or communication. We've had factories from Virginia to you know India and kind of everywhere in between and different pros and cons for each. I want to have an affordable product so I can't manufacture it in the most expensive way, but I need to have a quality product, which means I can't do it in the most cost-effective way. And finding that balance has been really hard. And we've had a lot of factories really let us down in big ways. And that's been a huge challenge. Uh, manufacturing is so, so rough. And then because of that, it's also really stunted a lot of the growth because we've had to spend so much time and money 
throughout the years, getting the whole like setup process going is really expensive and doing that over and over and over has made it really slow to create new product and really expensive. So I'd say another big challenge in my experience so far is that as much as I enjoy this company, it's been definitely at a, you know, a cost financially and time. I've, you know, I could have made a lot more money sticking with photography. And if I had just gotten a normal job, you know, a normal office job, I would have also had nights and weekends free, also making more money than I have. And so it's been a hard, like I've had seasons when I've really not been sure if it's the right thing to continue because also not every business should continue. Like there are so many companies that maybe serve their purpose, maybe were never meant to be. But just because you start something doesn't mean you should see it through the rest of your life. We only have so many things we can commit to. And in seasons where I've really wondered if it was time to shut the company down, which I've had many, many seasons of that. And there is like this feeling of like, was this a mistake? Have I given up so much of my life? It has been my main focus really since 2014, which is a long time. And I feel like I've worked so hard because I was doing that also while doing my wedding photography, which was also a really time intensive weekend job. And then having really my whole weeks feeling like I'm just working for a long time. It's been kind of a long work tunnel. And it's a really hard feeling of like, was this a mistake? Have I given up too much of my life that I'll never get back? While also you know, not even making enough money to feel like it was really worth it, at least in that way. And having to just I mean, for me to pray a lot and wonder, is this what I should continue? Because you do get a lot of satisfaction from work, but there's also a lot more to life than just work. So it's been a lot of tricky mental thoughts of, is this still the right thing to continue? Do I have enough faith that what is at the end, you know, the end goal is going to be worth it? But the journey can be really hard. And it's not, I don't think, the right journey for everyone to take because it is a lot of sacrifice. It's been a little easier for me because I'm not married. I don't have kids. If I was, I don't think I would have taken this path because it's taken so much of my time and that wouldn't be fair to you know other priorities. So I have had at least the capacity and the time to focus and give so much of it. But I almost try to like talk anyone out of entrepreneurship if I can, just because for a lot of people, it can lead to flexibility and independence and financial stability. But it either doesn't lead to that for a lot of people or doesn't include that for a long, long time along the way. And no one knows each journey, what it's going to lead to. And there's a lot of sacrifice along the way that you really have to wrestle with. Is this worth it or not? I think those feelings come up in podcasting a lot too. <laughs> I don't know if I tell other people to start a podcast. Maybe I would, I don't know. But I've definitely had those feelings that you just described. What has made you stick with the company ultimately? Is it the end goal that makes you want to keep going? I think just a knowing that it's still what I'm supposed to do after going through seasons of being completely open to stepping away. And it's not that I couldn't, or you know, I probably won't do this my whole life. So at some point I will step away, but just taking time to like kind of look at square in the eye and is this still right? You know, if it's not quite right, what needs to change to make it right? I think it's somewhat dedication to the goal, but I think it's more just this knowing deep in my heart as I go through seasons of really not being sure I've just said it's still where I'm supposed to be. I don't feel like I have a really clear idea of exactly what it's going to look like. I mean, no one can, but an, a piece in knowing that it's still what I should be doing. During COVID, had a lot more of those struggles than I ever had before. Like sometimes in the past, it was like, it was so hard that I'd be like, I don't want to do this anymore. But during COVID, when things just, the world was so changing, dealing with a lot of really difficult personal life stuff, it was like, I just don't know if I have the heart for this anymore. And then coming back to just, I had a, step away from work for some months and just kind of care for my family and just like stop working and just completely reset and coming back to it and really not sure if I could like fully commit to it again. But 
just through that process and that time just still felt like this is what I want to do. This is where I feel like I should be. And then the energy comes, the motivation comes, and there's like grace on the work and it feels like I have peace, keep going. So I don't want to be sure that I know what's to come, but I feel at least still peace that this is where I should be now. And I am excited for my work and pushing forward. And I think also a lot of, at least for me in the last year or two, a lot of good things have come to the company that have given me a lot more encouragement that this is exactly where I should still be. So I'll keep going. But it's more like I know this is what I should be doing now. So that's kind of all I know. Yeah, I I mean, I would agree with that as far as podcasting goes. Like, I I love it, too. It comes with challenges, but you do get a feeling like I, I just I feel like I should be doing this. For me, I like to think about there's a lot of positive things I get out of it, despite the challenges. Like, look, I'm having this amazing conversation with you right now, which I wouldn't if I didn't have a podcast. So that always helps me, too, when I hit those kind of like roadblocks, for sure. What about successes? Just kind of shifting. How do you define success and what have been some of your successes with the company that you're most proud of? I guess I would call success is creating what I set out to do. I can really struggle with achievement and like not ever feeling like I've done enough. But if I think about success as, you know, getting to see strangers on Instagram or in person, even like wearing products that we created and that they are wearing them for like the reasons that we created them for, you know, for them to feel beautiful, to feel confident, to feel like they are ready for whatever potential their life could include that day, that they're seeing themselves as part of our community of kindreds. That is success. Shipping out hundreds of dresses every year to to closets for people who are buying them not because they're my friend and they're doing me a favor, which was what probably a lot of it was at the beginning. But that is success. I think success is achieving what you set out to do. If I think of it that way, like it can be hard to feel like it's not success if it hasn't reached like XYZ, you know, level, but success was creating dresses to make people feel beautiful. And so that we have achieved. That's a great way to look at it. What about advice? What advice would you have for other entrepreneurs or small business owners? My favorite advice for people kind of diving into something new or tiptoeing into something new is just to get really used to being bad at things. Because the only way to get good at something is to be bad at it long enough. And if you are doing something new, it's going to come with so much discomfort. And our natural like self-defense reaction is going to be to go back to something comfortable so we feel good about ourselves. And I think the only way to get good is to be bad. So what actually really helped me the year I was starting, I picked up a new sport that I was really bad at. I was like, I just need to get used to this messy, soupy feeling of discomfort and embarrassment. Because that's the other thing. You're being bad at something in public which is a hard discomfort thing to do. So I did like a sport with people who are good at it and I was not. And that was like trying to like tell my brain to just get used to this feeling because I needed to stay in this feeling. So yeah, get used to being bad at things. It's the only way to get good. That's so well said. What sport did you play and did it help ultimately? It was volleyball and it did because now I'm not terrible at volleyball. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, that you just threw yourself into it. You know, I'm just going to get comfortable with this feeling of being uncomfortable. (laughs) That's the best way of putting it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think that's actually a really good spot to end. I know we didn't get to everything. Is there anything you wanted to say that we didn't talk about? No, I think that's, yeah, I appreciate you kind of guiding us. It kind of feels like a, a messy, long, disjointed journey into some semblance of a good story. But I think, yeah, just for anyone just to stay open to change in your business, it is an adventure and to treat your business like something to be diligent in, but to treat it like an adventure and just, you don't know what it's going to lead you to. And it's a lot to be grateful for to get to pursue it.
So thank you so much to Rebecca Murray for being here today and for being so candid about her entrepreneurship journey. I identified with a lot of what she was saying, and I, I really think other small business owners will too. And that advice at the end, to get uncomfortable with being bad at something, I could not have said that any better. That really is the experience. Even when I think back to my early days of freelance writing, I've been a freelance writer for maybe 14 years. And in the beginning, you're, you're learning. You're going to make mistakes. And even with podcasting, I can't listen to the early episodes of this podcast. I'm sure I've said that before. I don't wanna know what they sounded like because I was learning in the beginning. But with these types of public pursuits, whether it's having a small business where you are reaching out to customers and they're going to be able to see what you're doing, whether it's being a podcaster or a writer, so many other things, you have to have the courage to put things out there, even when they're not perfect. And I mean, really, Rebecca said it the right way, to be bad at it at first. And then as you keep doing it, you learn and you get better. And I just I thought the way that Rebecca explained that was just so well said. Okay, if you head over to the show notes, I will link a few of my favorite Virginia Dare products, as well as where you can find the company online. I'm so grateful to Rebecca for taking the time to talk with me and to share her story with all of you. And I'm very grateful to you for choosing to listen to this podcast today. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode and I will see you then.